0: First band plays at 9, tickets are $10, and it is a TV party joint. Again, that's at 303 Columbia, which you may have gone to the Victory Square after party back in September. Of course, room 237 of the sub is where CITR station manager Brenda Grunau is. Take that for what it is. Anyways, that's it for Exploding Head Movies this week. Coming up at 9 is the Joshua Game Walker, and it'll take you it to midnight. Afterwards, it is time for Transition State, so stay tuned to CITR for the rest of your potentially blustery Monday. Hopefully, you batten down the hatches as Tropical Storm Anna strikes us. Keep flashlights and charged phones handy. If you missed any of this week's episode, I'll upload this to the podcast via CITR.ca shortly. But you can always search iTunes and keep your eyes peeled for episode 237. Somehow the numbers lined up that way. Anyways, next week it is the 10th. Uh, next week, well, November. We might take a look at the 10th anniversary of the death of British radio DJ John Peel. Maybe Bill Conte's score to the right stuff. But um, I've been told in November I got some travel coming up, so I got some fill-ins to figure out. So we'll take it from there. Anyways, we'll close with Jonathan Snipes and William Hudson's version of Dies Irae, as we heard twice before, but uh, they do it in kind of a little bit more of a quirky fashion here. So you've been listening to Exploding Head here on 101.9 FM, CITR Vancouver. I hope you have a happy Halloween. <laughs>
1: You are listening to CITR FM 101.9, or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Well, I'll tell you something. We don't have our theme song this evening for the jazz show. Um, Something has happened with the uh, main CD player, and uh, we're just going to have to dispense with it at this moment. So... I'd just like to introduce myself. My name is Gavin Walker, and you are listening to CITR-FM 101.9, or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we're going to start this evening our jazz feature right off, and it's a kind of a birthday feature, and um, we'll... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get around to getting the, uh, the theme happening later on. However, uh, these things happen, and of course it happened as soon as I came into the studio. So here you go. So I'm uh, just trying to be uh, calm and cool and, uh, and relaxed and uh, <laughs> take care of business here. So we have our jazz feature happening. And we're going to celebrate the birthday of Warren Marsh. Warren Marion Marsh. And Warren is um, a great saxophone player who was born in Los Angeles in 1927 and passed away at a fairly young age, died of a a major stroke, and uh, died... Uh, in 1987 it's kind of a bizarre story because he was actually playing um, a gig and uh, Warren uh, became uh, ill on the bandstand as he was playing a tune and actually uh, (laughs) died with his boots on like a good soldier Um, he was sitting on a stool playing uh, playing his horn and playing a tune and uh, he collapsed from a major heart attack and uh, was dead by the time he hit the floor, much to the shock of everybody at uh, Dante's, uh, which was a very famous jazz club in Los Angeles. And uh, Warren was um, an incredible saxophone player and very, very dedicated musician. Uh, He, uh, when he wasn't uh, performing, um, when he... Uh, was offered gigs that he felt uh, he couldn't contribute to. Uh, Warren was uh, clean swimming pools. He drove taxis. He did yard work, um, that sort of thing around the Los Angeles area. He was a very, very dedicated jazz musician. And uh, it's it's reflected in his playing. Warren was a, a very serious player. He began studying with Lenny Tristano, the great uh, guru and pianist, when he was uh, Um, In 1948, when Warren was a young man, and uh, what was happening with Warren was that uh, he was looking for uh, someone to kind of uh, lead him, and Lenny Tristano was was the guy, and uh, he he became part of um, all of Lenny Tristano's bands. And recorded some very very important albums with uh, with Lenny and the other saxophone player who was very close to Mister Tristano, the great Lee Konitz, and uh, Warren and Konitz made quite a pair. And um, then when uh, Warren March continued to with his uh, with his own career, and uh, really became one of the most individual voices of the tenor saxophone, he had a rather uh, dry acerbic tone and uh a lot of people uh at times uh said well he's kind of a cold player he really wasn't um he wasn't uh he didn't have that warmth uh and the lyricism that Stan Getz had but he was he was close to Getz in in um the range of sound that he used on the tenor saxophone but uh his sound was much more cerebral and his ideas of course uh, were were very deep and and very harmonically involved and and uh, he had a an extremely original style on on the instrument. Um, Warren went on to become uh, his his career really has been reevaluated uh, uh, since his passing, of course, and people have realized that uh, this man was uh, one of the great voices of the tenor saxophone. And uh, he's held in very high esteem. The album we're going to hear this evening is a, a really a, a typical Warren Marsh title. Um, it's it's perfect because the album is called All Music. And uh, we're going to hear Mr. Marsh on tenor saxophone with one of his favorite piano players, Lou Levy. And Lou plays... Um, Piano on all of the tunes, except for one when he switches over to uh, the electric piano. Uh, Very fine bassist by the name of Fred Atwood, uh, another musician from the Los Angeles area, and one of the all-time great drummers in jazz and great characters in jazz music, a drummer by the name of Jake Hanna. And, of course, he's legendary. Um, Great big band drummer, but a wonderful, dynamic small group drummer as well. And all of this was recorded about 10 years before Warren's passing. It was done uh, in Chicago. Uh, Warren was a member of uh, a band called Super Sax, which was very popular in the mid-'70s, and uh, it was a a band made up, obviously, of saxophone players, and Warren had become a part of that. And he was on tour with Super Sax, and he was asked to do this particular record date. And he was only too pleased to uh, get into the studio and record some some music under his own name. And this is a a very fine album. So we're gonna open with a Warren Marsh original. All of his original tunes, and most of the original compositions here are all based on standard tunes. And um, the first one, of course, is uh, one of Marsh's favorite tunes, but it's his own variations on that tune. And the tune is simply called I Have a Good One For You," And that was the opening track. And this was the first tune that was uh, played on the date as well. And uh, we moved from there to a tune called Background Music, which uh, another one of uh, Marsh's compositions, and then a composition by Lou Levy, and it's called On Purpose, and it's actually a slow blues. And uh, then we're gonna hear a composition by Warren's mentor, uh, pianist Lenny Tristano, and it's a tune—actually, uh, it was Tristano's address in New York City at one time where he had a studio. And the tune is is his address, 317 East 32nd. Uh, that's the name of tune number four. And then a composition by Lou Levy called Lunar sea. <laughs> There you go. And then we get to the one standard of the whole set, or one of the two standards in the whole set— a uh, beautiful old tune that uh, everybody has recorded from Sonny Stitt to Charlie Parker to everybody. Uh, the tune is called Easy Living. And then we're going to hear a Lee Konitz composition. Um, of course, Konitz was such a partner with Warren Marsh for so many years and uh, this tune is called Easy Living. And, uh, uh, sorry, subconsciously. That's tune number seven. That comes after Easy Living. And then we're going to hear the final tune of the date is a very beautiful Johnny Mandel composition and Lou Levy switches over to electric piano for this one and it's a beautiful um, It's a tune that has become a standard tune and it's called A Time for Love. So here then Warren Marsh on tenor saxophone Lou Levy on piano and one tune on electric piano Fred Atwood on bass and Jake Hanna on drums. And just before we get into the music um, uh, it's really interesting to hear um, Mr. Marsh uh, because um, I enjoyed his I enjoyed his company immensely in uh, in Vancouver when he was here. Brian Nation who does the Vancouver um, jazz website was uh, running a a small uh, jazz society during the 70s very important addition to the vancouver jazz scene and it was called simply the vancouver jazz society and brian ran that and brought in Warn Marsh and lee konitz and uh they played at um, it was um, brian had uh, uh leased um the old legion hall at fourth avenue and trafalgar street and uh um very interestingly enough um I was able to uh, um, chat up with, uh, with Warren Marsh, and we kind of hit it off, and uh, for the few nights that he was here, um, we spent quite a bit of time together and hung out, and um, I took Warren for food after the concert was over, and uh, we had some really interesting conversations, and uh, um, very frank, very honest, very open, and uh, I remember those comp- uh, conversations very well. And uh, I just wanted to say that uh, what I found about him personally was really the same as his music. Um, It was uh, honest, um, intense, um, and yet uh, meaningful, and uh, just very straightforward. And I think that's uh, that's the kind of music we're going to hear on the, the jazz feature. So sit back and enjoy the music of the one and only Warren Marsh with, once again, Lou Levy on piano, Fred Atwood on bass, and Jake Hanna on drums. And the first tune is I Have a Good One for You. Enjoy.
2: Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. mm mm-hmm.
1: Well, that was our jazz feature this evening, the music of Warren Marsh. And we had uh, Warren on tenor saxophone with uh, Fred Atwood on bass and Lou Levy on piano and electric piano. And uh, it was... um, An interesting album, recorded in Chicago in February of 1976. And we heard uh, Mr. Marsh with um, all of those folks, and one of the great individual voices of the tenor saxophone. And Warren, of course, um, was one of those musicians. is very uncompromising, and and also uh, someone who, as I mentioned before, really um, believed and uh, stuck with the music that he believed in and uh, didn't play commercial jobs or any of that kind of stuff. This was all part of his, uh, his training with uh, Lenny Tristano, of course, and um, it made uh, Marsh you know, such an exceptional uh, musician that uh, he uh, really was a very, very dedicated man. So we heard him here in a context that he really enjoyed, uh, where he was the single horn, and uh, he delivered a whole bunch of uh, tunes for you. And we opened with um, the opener, which was simply uh, based on one of his favorite standards, and it's called I Have a Good One for You. And then we moved to another composition by Warren Marsh that went back a few years, a tune called Background Music. And he played that with... uh, Um, Lenny Tristano's uh, organization uh, quite often. And then the uh, tune number three was a slow blues called On Purpose, and then we heard a tune that was um, written by Lenny Tristano, who was one of Warren's mentors, and that was called 317 East 32nd. That's where Tristano had his studio in New York City. Then uh, the next tune was by Lou Levy called Lunar Sea. And then we moved to a beautiful ballad, Um, one of the two standards on the set, a tune called Easy Living. And um, then we moved to a challenging Lee Konitz original based on the chord progressions of a tune that a lot of uh, original compositions were based on. The tune is called What Is This Thing Called Love? And Lee Konitz called his variation Subconsciously. And then we moved to the final tune, which, of course, um, Lou Levy switched over to electric piano, and we heard the very beautiful Johnny Mandel composition called A Time for Love. So that was our jazz feature this evening, this wonderful album which came out on uh, Nessa Recordings out of Chicago. And uh, that was uh, the title of the album is called All Music. And that's what Warren Marsh was all about, all music, definitely. All right. We'd just like to remind you that you are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And my name's Gavin Walker. This is the uh, the themeless jazz show <laughs> for this evening. And uh, we'll be right back with some, some more music and uh, actually uh, something that we're going to repeat uh, from last week. At least we're going to repeat part of it. And that's that's a very obscure version of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers featuring one of the all-time great bass players, Wilbur Ware. So we'll tell you about that uh, right after these um, significant messages. So stay tuned. debut album by revered releases on november 4th
3: along with the spectacle of a show at the fox cabaret come celebrate composer and frontman emmett hall's musical indulgence into a pseudo new wave prog rock catharsis of ego an effigy to be truly revered
0: doors at seven thirty. tickets are five dollars visit revered.bandcamp.com for more Every day I know. everything will go the late I'm willing to admit like friends. Well, we like you. So become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, but it gets you all kinds of deals with our friends on Commercial Drive, like 10% off at Stormcrow Tavern, High Life Records, Audio Pile, Mintage Clothing, and more. Visit citr.ca for more, or come check us out in The Nest.
3: Like friends, well we like you. So become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, but it gives you all kinds of deals with our friends on Main Street, including 10% off at an Anti-Social Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear Red Cat Records, Woo Vintage Clothing, and more. Visit CITR.ca for more, or come check us out in the nest.
1: All right. Um, given a few uh, small technical glitches this evening, it's one of those nights. <laughs> I think it uh, has something to do, maybe, with the uh, with the oncoming uh, full moon. And uh, I read something today in my horoscope to uh, expect a bunch of unexpected things today. So I uh, hope you uh, didn't mind that uh, slight delay. Fortunately, there was someone here to uh, uh, kind of help uh, um, straighten out the situation. So we had a little dead air. And now we're, uh, we're back on track again. All right. Um, we shall get back to music right now. This is something that I um, played last week, and uh, I thought that I would repeat it again this week uh, because it was so good. And it's a very interesting recording. It's, one, it's a very obscure version of Art Blakey and his jazz messengers. Um, The original Jazz Messengers broke up. That was a cooperative band. And Blakey uh, patented the name, took it over, and it became Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. And he reformed the band uh, because everyone went in different directions. All the guys in his original band all went out to uh, either join other bands or form their own bands or that kind of thing and Blakey was basically, had to build the band from the drums up. And uh, the only leftover from the first band was trumpeter Donald Byrd. And he was a very valuable member, and of course a very busy, busy musician at that time, raising a family, uh, studying for his Ph.D., um, and and recording prolifically, and of course playing in different bands, including this one. And Donald Byrd sounds just wonderful on here on, on trumpet. The other person in the band is a tenor saxophonist who was the first Caucasian to join uh, Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, and uh, he was a triple threat. He played anything with valves and keys, and we're going to hear him um, mostly on tenor saxophone here with a bit of a squeaky reed. These things happen (laughs) uh, to to all saxophone players, and... um, uh, we're also going to hear him on uh, a little bit of trumpet as well. Uh, he's going to play some exchanges with Donald Byrd on the uh, second tune and then switch back to, uh, to tenor saxophone. On piano is the wonderful New York uh, pianist who was in this band, Kenny Drew, and on drums, of course, Art Blakey. But I think the real star of this whole band Uh, looking back on it and listening to these two tracks um, that we're going to hear, is bassist Wilbur Ware. There's really, when he was at his best, there was nobody that really could provide that wonderful feel that he had. Wilbur Ware was a self-taught bassist uh, from Chicago, and he had just moved to New York City. And of course, he was being heard uh, around town. He eventually went uh, and worked steadily with uh, for a while, anyway, with Philonius Monk and became Monk's favorite bass player. Um, but Wilbur, where this was a, a gig for Wilbur, and this was a bit of an exposure. The only reason this band is obscure is that they never actually played in New York City. They they were all living there, but um, they did go to Europe. And they played in um, clubs in the surrounding area, in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia, in Pittsburgh, which is Blakey's hometown, in Baltimore, Maryland, um, all around New York. But they never actually gigged in New York. And then, of course, uh, uh, the band uh, Blakey changed personnel and so on and so forth. So this was a very obscure edition of the Jazz Messengers. And a few of Blakey's Jazz Messengers were never recorded. So we're actually lucky we have these two very fine recordings, which, uh, which cropped up. They were rare, but they were issued on this uh, Columbia record. And uh, we're going to hear the tracks now. And we played them last week. And when I was listening to them, I just realized how great Wilbur Ware was. And um, I I did it as a a little bit of a kind of making things up for Wilbur Ware because I I played him on another Blakey recording, and uh, we won't get into what happened, but he uh, wasn't able to to finish the recording date for a variety of reasons. Um, So I I felt that I had to make it up to Wilbur, (laughs) the late Wilbur Ware, uh, to show that he was really one of the finest bass players on the planet, and I think you'll agree when you hear his work here. So the tunes we're going to hear, the people involved, once again, uh, Donald Byrd on trumpet, Iris Sullivan on tenor saxophone, and uh, on the second tune, also on trumpet, um, and Kenny Drew on piano, Kenny Drew Sr., that is, uh, Wilbur Ware on bass, and Hart Blakey on drums. And the two tunes are by Donald Byrd. The first one is called Little T. It's also known as The Third. Uh, And the second tune is called The New Message. So here then is this rare edition of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. So sit back and enjoy this. This cooks.
2: I'm <laughs> sorry.
1: a very rare edition of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, a repeat from last week, and uh, I thought I'd play this again because it's, uh, it's such good stuff. And, of course, one of the stars of that band was uh, the bassist, Wilbur Ware. Played very simply, but uh, very few bass players could uh, could push and drive like that and had that um, particular kind of feel, and that's why he became one of the most sought-after bass players um, back uh, when he was very active in the 50s and early 60s. And uh, the great Wilbur Ware from Chicago, self-taught bassist. Uh, he learned on a uh, one string uh, with a washtub and a, and a broom handle. That's how he learned how to play bass. He started doing that when he was a kid and then graduated to a real instrument and just taught himself how to get around it. And next thing you knew, he was, uh, he was playing gigs and uh, playing with some of the greatest jazz musicians in the world and uh, Wilbur Ware. well, What a phenomenon. Anyway, uh, this rare edition of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. We're lucky we have this record, because there there were a few unrecorded um, editions of Blakey's Messengers uh, with different personnel, but uh, we're glad this one got on record. Donald Byrd on Trumpet, who was uh, I mentioned was a holdover from the Uh, original Jazz Messengers, um, the cooperative band that Blakey was part of, and then he took over the name and became Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, and of course Donald was still there for this edition playing beautiful trumpet, and um, the great Ira Sullivan, who is still very much alive, lives in Florida, plays anything with valves and keys, and uh, an amazing musician, Uh, one of those very intuitive musicians. And he was the first, uh, I mentioned this again, he was the first Caucasian to join Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. And um, the great Iris Sullivan, we heard him on tenor saxophone with a bit of a squeaky reed, but that didn't matter because he got his message across. And uh, we also, on the second tune, we heard him in exchanges on trumpet with Donald Byrd. And I thought he bested Donald Byrd on trumpet because he's a very assertive trumpet player. Uh, and then he switched back to tenor saxophone again. Kenny Drew, wonderful um, piano player, uh, born in New York City of uh, West Indian heritage. He had that kind of dancing quality in his playing. And, of course, uh, Wilbur Ware, I mentioned, and Art Blakey on drums, just driving everything along. The two compositions were by Donald Byrd. Uh, the first one was called Little T, and the second one, sometimes known as The Third, and the second one, was called The New Message. So we hope uh, you enjoyed those two um rare tracks from this uh, edition of Blakey's Jazz Messengers. You are listening to CITR, FM 101.9 on your dial, and uh also we're uh on your computer, C I T R C A. My name's Gavin Walker. This is the Jazz Show. And we'll be back uh, in just a moment.
0: CITR presents The Internet, a modern soul collective straight out of LA, featuring Sid the Kid and Matt Martians. Catch them Saturday, October 31st at the Alexander Gastown. Tickets available at Red Cat, Zulu, Beat Street, Dipped, and Timberconcerts.com.
3: Do you like friends? Well, we like you. So become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, but it gives you all kinds of deals with our friends on Main Street, including 10% off at an anti skateboard shop, Devil Maywear? Red Cat Records, Woo Vintage Clothing, and more. Visit citr.ca for more, or come check us out in the next.
0: You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Honkameenem-speaking Musqueam people.
1: One of the longest-reigning groups in jazz music was the Modern Jazz Quartet, and it's funny when I was listening to them when they they uh, they were actually um, they were formed in December of 1952, under that name. Uh, they were all friends and knew one another, and the, and the original personnel was uh, John Lewis, of course, on piano, Milt Jackson on vibes, Percy Heath on bass, and the original drummer was Kenny Clark. And uh, he left in 1955 to pursue other things and also moved to Europe, and his position was taken over by a very fine drummer named Connie Kay. And uh, the Modern Jazz Quartet essentially was, was together, was the longest um, jazz group in existence with uh, basically the, the same personnel. And of course, the musical director was the very erudite and urbane John Lewis. And it was funny because back when I was listening to the Modern Jazz Quartet, of course, I, I used to listen strictly to Milt Jackson. And um, I was never a fan of John Lewis's piano playing. It, it didn't move me in any way. It just seemed light, tinkly, um, lacking emotion—that sort of thing. You know, the main thing in that band was Mill Jackson's vibe playing. Well, somehow that's all changed, and I guess people change over the years. And I, I'm not saying that. Um, you should take your focus off Milt Jackson. No way. I mean, obviously, he's the most you know the, the most important voice in the band. Um, but don't ignore John Lewis's piano playing the way I did when I was younger. Uh, I certainly appreciate it now. I can't believe how, how how beautiful it is because he doesn't waste any notes. Um, he plays very simply and logically. But so beautifully, um, he's like a, an extremely. It's like the way he was in person—a very, very well-spoken man, a very erudite, and yet very warm as well, not 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 cold. And um, his his piano playing—just just—I've uh, become totally enamored by it. But another aspect of his piano playing is the way he accompanies, Milt Jackson and the other people in the band when he's not soloing just the th- the 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 little riffs and the little things that he does um is so sensitive and so on and I can see why you know the musical chemistry in this band was so deep with these guys and of course um they played all over the world uh, they played in front of kings princesses Um, in some of the most prestigious concert halls all over Europe and the United States. And they they really did a service to jazz music. Here were four African-American men representing jazz music with a sense of pride, calling themselves the Modern Jazz Quartet, and being very proud of that name, uh, not uh, compromising their music, and um, yet... I think they accomplished so much in, in uh, uh, their longevity. And uh, I think John Lewis and Milt Jackson, they all re- really receive a big tip of the hat. Anyway, we're going to hear some tracks by the MJQ, as uh, they're known colloquially. We're going to open with uh, one of my favorite versions of Dizzy Gillespie's most famous composition, A Night in Tunisia. And then we're going to hear a great standard tune by Jerome Kern called Yesterdays. And then we're going to hear a real staple of the band. Um, They played this on every concert. They had to. Milt Jackson's famous blues, "Bag's Groove. So here then is the modern jazz quartet. The Sounds of the Modern Jazz Quartet. Milt Jackson on vibes, John Lewis at the piano, who was the musical director, Percy Heath on bass, and Connie Kay on drums. And we heard three choice tracks from a wonderful um, album by the MJQ, recorded in the mid-50s, and of course... Uh, recorded for Atlantic Records, and uh, they really did justice to the band's uh, sound. And we heard three of their most um, requested tunes. Really, um, they were always asked to play these these three uh, great uh, compositions uh, for their audiences all around the world. So we heard the um, one of the for me one of the definitive versions of Dizzy Gillespie's A Night in Tunisia, just done delightfully. And uh, I, I, I mentioned before that I, I, I was become, uh, in the last uh, few years, so attracted to John Lewis's piano playing that I used to think was kind of cold and detached and um, just not very exciting. But uh, <laughs> really, um, his... his uh, way of playing and and his use of uh, uh, beautiful little melodies and and repetition and such a lovely touch on the piano and so logical in his ideas. They just flow one into another. Um, It's it's just amazing. And and it's almost like the way he he spoke. John Lewis was an extremely well-spoken and erudite gentleman. All right. We heard Night in Tunisia. We we followed that with a, a standard Jerome Kern tune, a real favorite of the, of the groups, Yesterday's, and um, and then of course the uh, very famous Milt Jackson Blues Bags Groove. And of course they had to play Bags Groove at every concert. The M J Bags Groove was to the M J Q. Uh, what Take Five was to uh, Dave Brubeck's um, group. You know, next week, we're going to uh, feature um, the great alto saxophonist uh, Phil Woods. And um, because it is uh, next week, next Monday, falls on November 2nd, which happens to be Phil Woods' birthday. And uh, Phil just passed away recently, sad to say. We lost one of the great voices of the alto saxophone. Um, Mr. Woods was uh, 83, and he had suffered, I guess, in the last 10 years from uh, emphysema, and, of course, used to uh, log on the stage uh, um, one of those oxygen things, and between tunes or between solos and so on, he would um, uh, you know, have have to use it, unfortunately. But his playing... Uh, was always uh, strong, uh, assertive, and and just amazing. So, I'm going to play you an album that, uh, strangely enough, you know I interviewed Phil Woods several times, and, and uh, we we knew one another quite well. And, and I really appreciate uh, the fact that I did get to know uh, Mr. Woods, um, a very um, outspoken individual, very frank, um, very straightforward. Much like his his playing, but one of the most magnificent voices of the alto saxophone. There is just absolutely no doubt. This is an album, I remember uh, an interview I did with Phil many years ago, and I said, you know, an album that I just love is uh, an album that you did uh, on your return to the United States. Phil lived in Europe for several years. He left in 68 and came back in the mid-70s. And um, came back to the United States, and and uh, um, so I remember when I interviewed him, I said, you know, the first album you made, and he says, oh, you're gonna te- you're gonna tell me you like music de bois, because that was the name of the album, and I said, yeah, I said I-, I said I have the album, I said I've I've been playing it, I've been wearing it out, it it's absolutely great. He says, I don't like it, and uh, I kind of said, well, you don't like this album, like. How, how come you sound magnificent on it? Uh, I just don't like it. Uh, you know, there's things on it that just bother me for some reason. And he didn't really elaborate why. And I, and I said, well, you're playing as masterful on it, and you're playing with, with three of the greatest guys in the world. Well, I don't like it. I don't know why, but I don't like it. And so I dropped the subject. He obviously didn't want to talk about it and didn't want to explain anything. So I was left with kind of a big question mark. But, uh, oh, well, uh, that's, that's the way it goes. Now, there may have been some reasons, that uh, unexplained reasons. Uh, who knows? Sometimes musicians, even, even though they make good records, they, they're very, very self-critical. Sonny Rollins being one of them. Um, Sonny Rollins hates most of his recordings and refuses to listen to them. Uh, And he made so many classics, but he just says, no, every time I hear one of my recordings from from the past, I know I can do better. (laughs) He still feels that way. And so he won't listen to his his own recordings. And uh, maybe Woods was feeling the same way. Anyway, this was recorded um, January fourteenth, nineteen 1974. And this was Phil's first recording back in the United States. Music Du Bois was recorded for the uh, Muse label. And it features Mr. Woods on alto saxophone with this incredible rhythm section, Jackie Byard on piano, Richard Davis on bass, and Alan Dawson on drums. And they made some significant recordings with other saxophonists like Booker Irvin and and so many. Uh, What a rhythm section this was. Very adventurous, very loose. And uh, uh, Mr. Woods sounds wonderful on this, despite what he says. We're going to open with a Woods composition called Samba du Bois, which I, I just love this thing. And then uh, an incredible version, um, sort of done uh, in the all-blues manner. I think those of you that are familiar with Miles Davis's tune, All Blues, will recognize how they do willow weep for me. And the final tune we're going to hear is uh, uh, Phil Wood's original called The Last Page. So we're going to hear three tunes from this, uh, I think, astounding Phil Wood's album. And it's a bit of a prelude to our jazz feature next week and and a bit of a tribute to the great Mr. Woods. So I hope you enjoy uh, some selections from Musique du Bois, beginning with Samba du (laughs) Bois. the incredibly beautiful music of the one and only Phil Woods on alto saxophone from this album that uh, (laughs) I told you about that he doesn't like. I cannot see that at all. He just plays just incredibly beautifully on there. And uh, it's a bit of a prelude to uh, next week's jazz feature because we're going to be paying a birthday tribute to Mr. Woods, who he was born in Springfield, Massachusetts, on November 2nd, and uh, November 2nd is next Monday, and that's going to be our next jazz show, and Mr. Woods will be the future artist from a concert um, a little bit earlier that uh, he did in Europe with his uh, great band called the uh, the European Rhythm Machine. And uh, that's going to be an an incredible performance. But this is, too, and this is from an album, his first album, that he made on his return to the United States from his sojourn in Europe. It was done in January of 1974 for Muse Records and recorded uh, in New York with this all-star rhythm section with Jackie Bard on piano, Richard Davis on bass, and Alan Dawson on drums and of course what an adventurous rhythm section and uh, I think they challenged Mr. Woods uh, in in many ways too and uh, for some reason as I said before <laughs> he 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 didn't give me any reasons why but he said he didn't like this record so I don't know you know it could have been just um, you know sometimes artists are are that way with their own work So I I didn't probe this uh, at all, but uh, my goodness, he plays magnificently on this and, of course, shows you that he was such a master of his instrument and master of music. Phil Woods, he passed away just recently at age 83, and I'll tell you more about Mr. Woods next week. But uh, what we heard here was... Um, actually two compositions by Phil and a great arrangement of a standard tune. So we opened with um, the opening track, perfect opening track of an album too. It's called Sambo de Bois, written by Phil Woods, very melodic tune. And then this great version of Willow Weep for Me, done sort of uh, in the same vein as Miles Davis' famous composition, All Blues. It had that kind of feel, and um, Phil just made the most of that. And the final tune was a beautiful Phil Woods original called The Last Page. Phil Woods, Jackie Byer, Richard Davis, Alan Dawson. What a quartet. Music du bois. Classic album. Yes, well, we have uh, a couple of things I'd like to tell you about. Uh, two great websites, of course. The website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, and of course, there's all kinds of stuff going on there, and that website covers it all. Um, it's it's very comprehensive, and uh, it it really is um, a website that you should check out. And of course, you want to buy tickets to uh, a lot of the events and uh, make reservations and do all that kind of stuff. The website is very user friendly, and you can do all of that stuff. On Coastal Jazz and blues, Blues.ca. jazz and Blues.ca. Uh, and um, that is one great website. Another one, of course, is the website put together by my old friend Brian Nation, and that is VancouverJazz.com. And uh, that is a very fine, comprehensive, all around website as well. And uh, they tell you what's, uh, what's going on. Uh, there's all sorts of links on that site and uh, different, different things uh, that, that you can link on to. And it's, uh, you know, those of you, most of us are pretty computer literate now. And so we can get around these websites very easily and uh, find out what, uh, what your particular interest is and just go there. So that's uh, coastaljazz.ca and vancouverjazz.com. And, of course, one more mention of my good friend Ken Speller, who is a wonderful saxophonist and music teacher. And uh, he teaches all the woodwinds, of course, uh, flute, clarinet, uh, and so on. And he has a business called Music at Home. And uh, if you want lessons, right in your house and you just phone him up and uh, he actually comes to your house and uh, gives you lessons and um, advises you on uh, um, perhaps, uh, you know, you have an instrument that's a little bit out of shape or or, uh, you haven't played in many years. It doesn't matter uh, whether you're an amateur, uh, a beginner, um, a pro, um, somebody who's retired and just wants to take up music, anything. And uh, Mr. Speller is an excellent teacher, but he also is a repairman. And for those of us that are uh, active playing and so on and so forth, we all know that our instrument has to be in top shape or else you're not going to sound as good as you think uh, you should sound. And very often it's due to the instrument. And Ken is the guy to call uh, to keep your instruments in shape, your saxophones, your flutes, your clarinets. Uh, Sometimes they just need a little tweak and other times they need something a little more. But he charges. Very reasonable fees because his workshop is right in his house, and so he does all the repairs there. Um, he doesn't have the overhead of a store uh, and all that kind of stuff, so he keeps his prices at a very, very reasonable level. And he's very, very good at what he does. So you can reach can Speller at seven seven eight eight hundred nineteen thirty three seven seven eight eight hundred nineteen thirty three or K Speller. If you use email, of course, uh, kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R, underscore 14, at yahoo.ca, kspeller, underscore 14, at yahoo.ca. We have one more thing to tell you about, and we'll be right back with uh, some more music. (laughs) ¶¶ Well, there's a big, uh, big moon up there tonight, too. It re- was really nice when I came out here, and uh, tonight is, uh, well, they said it uh, today was kind of, you know, funny day, but it it, it did clear up, and we saw some sunshine, kind of broke through, so clearing tonight, and, and quite cool, uh, down to, not that cold, though, down to a low of seven. I mean, that's not too bad. Tomorrow is going to be mainly sunny, with a low of seven and a high of 13, and then Unfortunately, heading into uh, Halloween weekend, Halloween Saturday night, it's time, oh yeah, the town should be uh, just <laughs> very interesting on Saturday. Um, but unfortunately, the weather is uh, taking a downturn. Wednesday is going to be showers with a low of 9, high of 12. Thursday, well, there's no rain in the forecast, but it's going to be cloudy, low of 10, high of 12. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, nothing but rain. Uh, We're actually going to get a big rainstorm, lots of rain and so on and so forth. So there's going to be lots of makeup running and all those little kids on the street um, on Saturday. And, of course, all the adults will be out there as well. Um, The temperatures are going to range between, sort of a narrow range, between 10 and 13. But that's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all rain. So there you go. Prepare yourself for it. All right. Back to music. This is an interesting recording uh, by pianist Elmo Hope, who is one of my favorites. This was, um, his last prestige album before he split for a variety of reasons from New York and headed to Los Angeles. Uh, Elmo got out of New York City. He was born and raised there. He was, uh, the only child of West Indian parents, and he was one of the foremost pianists, um, he didn't get the recognition um, of his friends Bud Powell or Thelonious Monk, but they all hung out together. They all grew up together. They all played music together, and um, Elmo, of course, had a, had a sort of a different career, um, and he didn't get the uh, the accolades and the recognition that Monk and Bud Powell got. Uh, but Elmo was just as much an innovator. Anyway, this is an interesting session. Uh, prestige Records. He was contracted to Prestige Records for a series of dates, and Bob Weinstock, the head of Prestige, um, had promised Elmo a recording session. Um, But what happened was that Elmo liked to to, um, prepare for a recording session. Uh, He didn't like to do these jam session-type recordings. And uh, he liked to prepare material, write it out, and so on and so forth, and he had a band in mind um, that he wanted to use, um, but he needed time to get tunes together and arrangements and so on, and the people involved were Don Byrd on trumpet, who we heard a little earlier in the show, Hank Mobley on tenor saxophone, who was one of the most prominent uh, in, the, in the 1950s, great, great player, and John Coltrane was the other saxophonist, so Mobley and Coltrane, uh, and Donald Byrd, that was a nice that was a combination that Elmo kind of liked, and he had uh, intended to write some quite complex tunes um, for this instrumentation. The rhythm section was Paul Chambers on bass and the great Philly Joe Jones on drums. So it was an a one band. But what happened was that Weinstock had a cancellation, and he phoned Elmo out of the blue and said, "Can you come in and do this recording?" And it was sort of, uh, it put Elmo on the spot because he had nothing prepared. He had the musicians in mind, and um, uh, those were already contracted, and and Elmo had intended to bring them into for some rehearsals and uh, write some very special material for this session. As it turned out, there wasn't time. So basically it turned out to be a jam session recording, one that... Uh, um, a, the t- a type of recording date that he didn't really want to do. But he did because, well, it's a recording date and it meant money and so on and so forth. But the band still sounds great on here. And this was the very first recording that I ever heard John Coltrane. I had never heard, uh, I consciously I had never heard Coltrane before. And I remember when this album came out, um, I was living in uh, in Montreal and I was with a whole bunch of older jazz fans and uh, we we found this recording. It had just come out, and found this recording. And we were listening to it in one of those recording booths that they had in back in those days, where you could try out the music, and then if you liked it, you bought the record, kind of thing. It was like you auditioned your own records. <laughs> and so we a uh, whole bunch of us spent a lot of time at the International Music Store on St Catherine Street. Uh, we all belong to a jazz society in Montreal, and I was the youngest member. Anyway, um, they pulled out this record, and it's called, uh, the original album was called Informal Jazz, because that's exactly what it is. And uh, Coltrane just jumped out of the grooves. I c- I'd never heard a, a, a tenor saxophone sound quite like that before. Uh, Hank Mobley sounded just like a very fine, ten- smooth tenor saxophonist, but what Train was doing was unbelievable for me and my years at the time. And that, this was my very first hearing of John Coltrane. So, um, And I still remember that every time I hear this piece of music. Anyway, so we're going to hear Hank Mobley and John Coltrane on tenor saxophones, Donald Byrd on trumpet, uh, Paul Chambers on bass, and the great Philly Joe Jones on drums, and of course the leader, Elmo Hope on piano, And this is based on Charlie Parker's confirmation. And it's Elmo calls it, uh, it's just a riff, and Elmo calls it Ouija. And they just kind of put this together in the studio right away. So informal, spontaneous jazz, here we go. two recordings by John Coltrane with um, Elmo Hope. This was some very early Coltrane. And I played you two recordings from this session called Informal Jazz. And uh, as I mentioned before, um, poor Elmo didn't have time to write anything complex uh, for this because the date was kind of thrown at him and it was like, take it or leave it, man. Um, I've got a space, you know, so he had to come in with the the guys, and he had planned to uh, rehearse this band uh, on his own dime, and, um, and put out some um, really interesting original music, as he was very, very capable of, because he was just a, as major a composer as Thelonious Monk, and uh, Elmo wrote some great tunes, challenging music, but um, unfortunately for him, it had to be a jam session type date, which he didn't particularly appreciate, but he made the best of it. And of course, everybody played great on it. So as it turned out, it's um, really a nice portrait of uh, good jazz from the mid-50s. Um, and it shows that all these great musicians can get together and just, and just play uh, with the, uh, the minimum of, of preparation. So we heard Donald Byrd on trumpet, sounding always so lyrical and, and, and nice, Hank Mobley, of course, on a very smooth-sounding tenor saxophone, and of course, this was my first hearing of John Coltrane, and I couldn't believe the sound. <laughs> I'd never heard a saxophone make that kind of a sound, a tenor saxophone make that kind of a sound. Um, when I listen to it today, of course, it sounds so straight ahead, but at my ears at the time when I first heard this, uh, I just just about jumped out of my skin when I heard Coltrane's sound. It was like bone-chilling, like eerie kind of a sound. And um, and exciting as well, because I, I hadn't heard anything like that. And of course, he plays great on, on here. All of this was done in May of 1956 for Prestige Records. And we heard two tunes from here, both Elmo Hope uh, um, compositions. They're not really compositions, they're just little riff tunes but uh, Elmo put them together. And, of course, Elmo Hope, the leader, on piano, and Paul Chambers on bass, and the great Philly Joe Jones on drums. And the first tune was called Weeja, and uh, that's the best track on the album, I think, and uh, that just burns, and, and um, uh, that's based on Charlie Parker's great tune, Confirmation. And uh, the second tune is the blues, and it's called was called simply On It, and it's kind of a jam session-type blues the guys would put together, uh, they'd just come up with it, you know, almost like instant, uh, an instant composition. So there you go. And that's from the original title of that album was called Informal Jazz. That was the first pressing of that album. And then later on, they, they changed it because Coltrane had risen to star stature. And so they, they changed it and put it under Coltrane's name and called it uh, Two Tenors which I thought was a little bit unfair to Elmo Hope, who was actually the leader on this. Anyway, that's the way the music biz is. So we hope you enjoyed those things. And uh, we're going to carry on. We're going to do one more tune for you. Speaking of John Coltrane, Benny Golson, the great uh, saxophonist from Philadelphia, grew up with John Coltrane. They were like brothers. And... Pharoah Sanders, of course, became part of the latter part of John Coltrane's life when he joined Coltrane's band in 1965 and became actually Coltrane's alter ego uh, during those years, right up until the time that Coltrane passed away. So this recording is quite unique. And I had been looking for this track for a long time. I heard it on uh, KPLU many years ago, and I could never track down this album, and it just came into my hands just recently thanks to my good friend Ron Hearn, and um, this whole album is, is great, and it features Benny Golson on tenor saxophone, Pharoah Sanders on tenor saxophone, Cedar Walton on piano, Ron Carter on bass, and Jack DeJohnette on drums, and it was recorded um, in New York City in December of 1983, the album is entitled "This is for you, John," and it's it's kind of a memorial album to John Coltrane from his great friend Benny Golson, and this is a tune that's my favorite track on the album. This is the one that I heard on uh, KPLU on Jim Wilkie's show. It's a tune called "Time's Past." And I just love the melody on here the way. And both horns are just superb on, on this tune. And I hope you enjoy it. And that's going to wrap up our show this evening. Times Past. That very beautiful piece is called Time's Past, and that featured uh, Benny Golson on tenor saxophone. He took the first solo and the melody line, and the second tenor saxophone solo was by the great Pharoah Sanders. The two of them together, with Cedar Walton on piano, Ron Carter on bass, and Jack DeJohnette on drums. Wrapping up another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR, you have been listening to that show. My name's Gavin Walker. And we have our theme back. <laughs> I'll be able to uh, go out with it. Um, yeah, one of our CD players was malfunctioning and uh, trapped the CD. And, um, well, I managed to get it out. But it was uh, it looked as though it was going to be in there permanently until the technician got a hold of it. All right. So this... Um, Getting back to this recording, this is uh, a recording dedicated to John Coltrane, and it's called This Is For You, John, because Benny Golson grew up with John, and Farrell Sanders, of course, worked with him the last two years of his life. So they were both very close to uh, Coltrane. They had that real connection. This was recorded in New York in December of 1983, a very fine album on Timeless Records, and I'm grateful for Ron Hearn for making this available to me because this, is this, this uh, album is some uh, an album that I had been looking for for a long time. Now I've got it, and I'll play more from it uh, in future programs. Next week, of course, we're going to pay tribute to the great Phil Woods, who we heard on the show this evening, and uh, we'll, hear, we'll hear the further adventures of Mr. Woods. And it's his birthday, of course. Uh, Mr. Woods died at uh, 83 just recently, but uh, he's back on our program, and uh, will be featured next week in a great concert that he did in uh, Frankfurt with his band called the European Rhythm Machine while he was living there. So uh, do join us next week, November 2nd. So thank you very much for being out there uh, this evening on behalf of CITR, The Jazz Show, and myself, Gavin Walker, and we'll see you in seven days' time. So take care. Bye for now.
2: You
1: Well, we don't have much of a theme. <laughs> you heard a little bit of it. We'll, we'll have it uh, complete by next week. Yeah, the uh, uh, CD is acting funny, and uh, the player is acting funny, and uh, everybody's acting funny. So once again, we'd like to thank you very much for being out there, and we'll see you uh, next week, November 2nd. Take care. On behalf of uh, CITR, myself. Gavin Walker and The Jazz Show. Funny evening this evening. Well, you know, we're coming up to a full moon, so anything can happen. Bye-bye. My friends, tonight we unveil my most diabolical creation.
0: CITR 101.9 FM Ten times more addictive than marijuana.
1: To human misery. <laughs> nice to see